This episode is brought to you by Chalk Cartel. I've tried a lot of different chalk in my 14 plus years of climbing, and this is my favorite. I love the texture. It's got the perfect amount of grit to it that makes it feel stickier. And I swear to you, it stays on my hands longer than other chalks. And if you're trying a long boulder problem or a pumpy sport climb or a trad climb, not having to stop and chalk up as often can make all the difference. Head over to chalkcartel.com to check out their shop. They've got quarters, they've got kilos, they've even got a sample pack for $3. I call that the dime bag. So you can try it out before diving elbow deep into your chalk bucket. And if you're already hooked on it like me, you can buy a subscription and have amazing chalk automatically sent to your house every month or every two months or every three months. All of their packaging is eco-friendly, so keeping your chalk bag full has never been easier or lower impact. Again, that's chalkcartel.com. Use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next purchase and get ready to join the cartel. I will leave you with this friendly message from my three-year-old niece. Chalk Cartel, trailer for us. This episode is also brought to you by Rhino Skin Solutions, my go-to when it comes to taking care of my skin. My favorite products are the Repair Cream, the Performance, and the Dry Spray. Those last two are the bee's knees for sweaty hands like mine. If you want to level up your skin game, head over to rhinoskinsolutions.com and enter code NUGGET in all caps, at checkout for 20% off your next order. And you can also use that code for gift cards. So if you need some gift ideas for the holiday season, there you go. Stock up on repair cream to keep your own skin happy and buy a gift card for a friend or loved one and use code NUGGET, all caps, at checkout for 20% off your order. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is Stephen Dimmitt, your host, and my guest today is Kyra Condi. Kyra is a 25-year-old professional climber based in Salt Lake City, originally from Shoreview, Minnesota. And Kyra is an incredibly impressive and accomplished competition climber. The list of her competition accomplishments is quite long, too long to list here. And in case you've been living in a hole or are relatively new to climbing, Kyra was one of four athletes to represent the United States in sport climbing's debut at the Tokyo Olympics. So our second Olympian on the show so far after Nathaniel Coleman, and it was really fun to hear about Kyra's experience with the Olympics as well. If you recognize Kyra's name from the podcast, she's come up a couple times in my conversations with Allison Vest, who I've had on the show. They are roommates and they are training partners and they are incredibly entertaining on the internet. So I will link to both of their Instagrams and they share a TikTok account that I recommend following if you are a TikToker as well. Kyra is super fun. We had a lot of laughs in this episode. We talked about Kyra's family history with music and dream Broadway roles. 
if she could wish that into existence. We also talked about some of her cleaning tendencies and some of her tidiness quirks and how she thrives in organized chaos. Her closet is very neat and tidy, but her training schedule is surprisingly random and all over the place, and she thrives on variety. Kyra also has a fused spine, and that is an obstacle that she has been forced to work around about as long as she has been a climber. We talked about being diagnosed with scoliosis as a kid and getting that surgery and how that affects her climbing and how she trains around that. And of course, we talked about the Olympics when that first became a goal for her, how her training changed with that goal in mind. And I was curious to hear how she became a better or different climber from those years of prep specifically for the event. So we get to hear her thoughts on all of that and how she's thinking about where she wants to take her climbing moving forward and a lot more. Anyway, I really had a fun time talking to Kyra and without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Kyra Condi. Kyra, it's really nice to meet you in person. I was expecting to be in your uh, podcasting closet again. <laughs> oh yeah, we do have that. It's like our our like random acoustic room upstairs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. It, it I would, could go up there. No, it's totally fine. This sounds great, but it would not have been the first time that um, I've seen your laptop logging into Zoom, being <laughs> <laughs> being in that same recording space. But yeah, between that, between uh, have, what I'm referring to for people listening, um, I've had a couple conversations with your roommate Allison Vest and. Between that and following you on Instagram and following her on Instagram, I feel like we know each other even though we've never met. So it's really nice to finally meet you. And thanks for being here. Yeah, it's really nice to meet you too. I've heard a lot of good things about like what people think of your interviews and stuff. So I'm really excited. Uh, awesome. Okay. Do this. Yeah. <laughs> Bar is high. I'll, I'll, try, <laughs> I'll try my best to deliver. Um, I'm actually really excited for this because I have my own notes from following your career and from following you, but I reached out to our dear friend, Allison Vest, your dear roommate this morning, and just got some gems from her, you know, <laughs> of course. So some questions I'd from her. I'd expect nothing less from Allison. Yep. She's uh, one of the more clever people I know. She's amazing. But I want to start with something that she actually mentioned in one of my previous interviews with her. This was in a follow-up that I did for people that are listening. I want to start by asking you about whistling. Oh my God. What is the deal with that? She was talking about going to like a, I think she went to the circus maybe with you and your family and she's sitting next to you and this guy comes out and you're like, that's the world champion whistler. And she's like, how in the hell do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So I think I have a few other talents outside of rock climbing. And one of them that I would say is quite high up on that list is whistling. Like I just have been able to whistle ever since I was I think four or five years old. Like I remember learning how to whistle and I was pretty young. Like my parents would find me in grocery stores by like following my whistle when I would wander <laughs> away when I was a kid. Um, and so I think at one point I was like, man, I wonder if I'm like good enough to compete at whistling, you know, just competitive nature and all that. And so I looked up the videos of world champion whistler and uh, the guy is like pretty recognizable. He's like, got this like curly hair. It has like a really specific look. And so when he came out and started whistling, I was like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> and so 
Allison was geeking out about the circus performers because she had uh, connections to them through some people she knew in Canada. And then I was geeking out about this like whistler at the same circus. So it was really funny because it was totally a surprise. Like we didn't know he was going to be there. That's amazing. Did you ever pursue it any further than that? What was your conclusion after watching these videos of whistling? That I would have to put a lot more effort into whistling if I wanted to compete. <laughs> They're like accompanied like with a piano and wow. whistle like actual classical music. Yeah. I just tend to be whistling whatever is stuck in my head at any given time. So. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. Can you, um, this might sound horrible on a podcast. And I if know. It does, Let me back away from my, if it, if it does, we can cut it out, but I'll adjust levels and stuff as needed in post. But what, yeah. What should I whistle? What's stuck in your head right now? What just feels. Actually, funnily, it's almost right. always songs that I used to play on my flute in band in high school are like the random oh things I whistle most often. Let's come so back like, to that. like a little marching band ditty yeah it's like i think that one's called a uh, uh molly on the shore so <laughs> that's amazing your intonation's incredible that's actually oh, thank you. yeah yeah do you well, have perfect so, do you have perfect pitch I, or i do not but my brother actually does like i was about to say my brother is an insanely talented musician like um you know the stories about mozart where he would come home from going to see the opera or the orchestra or something and would be able to play it on the piano mm. or if you heard that like folk tale or yeah my brother would do that with movies. Like, actually, we would go and see Pirates of the Caribbean and then we'd come back and he would be playing the score on the piano from memory. Wow. It was insane. From one listen in the movie. Yeah, it was just like super, like that was just what my brother did all the time. So I think I didn't realize just quite how incredible it was. And now I see all these people <laughs> going viral on TikTok with the same thing. And I'm like, that's what Xander does, my brother. So Wow. Wow, that's amazing. Has he pursued that professionally? Is that what he does? Yeah, he, um, he organizes uh, music and uh, teaches music lessons and stuff like that. Okay. And uh, does some, he does some composing and he's re he's a really good singer, really good piano player. Um, he's insane. Amazing. <laughs> I can talk about him all day. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. How far did you take music for yourself? Um, so actually before I was in to climbing, I was in a musical theater. I was like, my brother, I, I mean, we've always really gotten along and that's what he did. And so I wanted to do it too. Uh, and so we did a lot of like musical theater and plays before I found uh, climbing as like my sport. I was always really athletic, but that was like my other passion. And so I, I did a bunch of musicals and then I, I've i played the flute since I was in fifth grade. I played piano for a little bit, but my brother was so good at that, that, that I needed something else to do. Mm. Um, and so, mm. but I've played the flute ever since. So I've actually played the flute longer than I've climbed, which is kind of crazy. Wow, you still play. I do, I have it with me, but uh, so I, I break it out every once in a while and play like movie songs and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so much fun. I'm going to sprinkle in topics and questions from Allison throughout this. That's just how this is going to go. We're going to bounce all over the place. But that's too good of a lead into this question. Kyra, what is your dream Broadway role? If you could be on Broadway? Let's oh, start man. with that. I was at a couple when I was a kid. Um, I was in this play called Seussical the Musical, which is like a Seuss-based musical. Seuss, like Dr. Seuss? Yeah, like Dr. Seuss. Okay. Um, and it's like Horton Hears a Who mixed with a couple other stories. And it's it's a really good play, actually. And there's Gertrude McFuzz was always a, a dream role because I really liked one of the songs that she sang. Gertrude, say it again. Gertrude. Gertrude McFuzz. McFuzz. She's a character <laughs> in Dr. Seuss. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, Describe Gertrude. What, what about Gertrude resonates with you? 
her uh, role in the play is she's in love with Horton, the elephant. Uh, and um, she only has one tail feather. And so she thinks that she needs more tail feathers to get his attention. So like that's, the, she's a bird. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that's one of my lesser known dream roles. Uh, uh-huh. And then uh, like Alphaba and Wicked, like, oh. kind of obvious one. Or uh, Why do you say that? What's What's obvious about that? Oh, I feel like Wicked is just like one of those cult following plays that uh everybody knows and alphabet is like the main role with all the cool songs and, okay okay uh and then uh eponine in lame is oh nice that would probably be my actual top one <laughs> right on yeah. this is this is a a little known fact for people um i was actually in a high school production of lame is and no played marius yeah oh cool yeah i saw it when my family took a vacation in london when i was like 12 and nick, nick jonas was playing marius like super randomly you just fall yeah. in love at that moment and just dream well, of, of dying in his arms as eponine <laughs> no but i would i i wish <laughs> clearly <laughs> okay and this is the second half of that question from allison who would she be in this broadway scenario one of our our go-to jam sessions is we we sing the um the duets of in wicked where she plays glinda and i play alphaba in like when we sing the parts okay and describe glinda what makes allison the right fit glinda is the the good witch of the uh you know the the realm of the oz <laughs> of oz uh-huh. and uh um in wicked they're roommates so it's kind of perfect for us to <laughs> amazing amazing Okay, let's talk more about rock climbing. How did you first discover rock climbing? You started with more music and music theater and things like that. How did rock climbing come into your life? Yeah, so I was always a super athletic kid, um, but none of the other sports were really sticking. I remember doing um, soccer and getting really annoyed at the coach for not putting me in for a corner kick. And then I was like, I'm over it. I don't want the coach to make any decisions for me. Like, I want to I want to be able to do it. So that was kind of a clear no on team sports. <laughs> um, I was in gymnastics for a little bit, but then I quit that so I could do soccer. Then I did track and field, but none of those were really sticking either. It was kind of more for fun. Uh, and then I ended up going climbing at a birthday party, kind of a classic way, I think, for people around my age to have started climbing. Um, How old are you? I'm 25 and uh, was just like pretty good. And the employee at the gym told me about the gym, uh, the gym's teams and stuff like that. And so I ended up joining the team and it, pretty much stuck right away. Like I climbed everything as a kid too. So it, it just made sense. Mm. I know you've talked about your competitive side quite a lot in other interviews. Is there anything that you enjoy that you suck at or are you, do you gravitate towards the things that you're naturally really good at? Um, I, I love trying things. I think I'm like decently good at things in general. Um, <laughs> one of those people. Like, I'm not one of like, like Nathaniel, I feel like is somebody who I think of as being just like good at everything. Like, okay. Like he could, he's just like really good at dabbling and mastering small things, you know, like Kendama, great example. Right. Um, like, I don't think I'm quite the same like that, but I feel like I'm naturally pretty good at things I try. Uh, but I, I tend to be more of a specializer. Like I really mm. love diving head in on, on one thing. So like flute, for example, I've played that since fifth grade, but I don't play really any other instruments. So I've been like trying to teach myself a couple Okay. Or uh, climbing. What have, what have you been trying to teach yourself musically? I brought a, my brother's clarinet from home from when he was in middle school. <laughs> and so I've been trying to teach myself the clarinet, which is way harder than the flute. Oh. <laughs> so. 
<clears throat> Amazing. I want to sprinkle in some questions from listeners too. I got half a dozen questions for you from people that support the show. I liked this one a lot. This is from Atlin. If you were to do an Olympic sport besides climbing, what would you want it to be? Oh man, that's so hard. Um, I love watching the weightlifting. Oh, uh, I think it's super cool the way that they end up competing because you can't go down in weight. So you have to decide what your weight is, then go out and try and do it. And then say you picked 96 kilograms and you don't do it. You can either go up or stay the same, but you can't go down. Uh. And so I think that the mental game of it is pretty cool. Uh, and then like people get better as it goes on too. So like, if you are coming out in six, like, you know, that people and like what people can lift. And so like, it just seems kind of neat to me. And it's really just like, how much can you lift? Like, there's like other factors. Like if you miss it or something, like, I think that's kind of cool. Like, it's just one thing that you're training and can do. Uh, I'm sure there's intricacies I, I don't know about, <laughs> but that's right. what it looks like. Yeah, if my back wasn't fused, I think uh, pole vaulting would be pretty cool too. Oh, sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Funny, I also, I pole vaulted for a couple of years in high school. No way. Um, yeah, I wasn't very good. I don't even know why I mentioned that, but it's <laughs> I know cool. Alex Johnson was state champ. Oh, no way. Yeah. What? Yeah, she like went to school on a scholarship for pole vaulting. I no think. shit, she's been holding out on me. How did I not, did, did <laughs> I, I'm like, wonder, I'm racking my brain right now. I'm wondering if I knew that or if I... Maybe that's just a Minnesota known fact. Cause... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. I can see what you're saying though with the weightlifting. I mean, that is kind of the double edge sword of climbing. Like it's so new and novel and fun and creative. Every single rock climb or uh, gym set, competition boulder, everything's a little bit different. And, you know, I just talked with Steve Bechtel about this, how it's a soft skill sport. We're not learning to do the exact same thing over and over. We're, we're creating this massive vocabulary of movement and then combining our movements in these unique ways for every single problem. Um, but the flip side of that is, especially with competition, there's this element of luck, you know, like, did you get, did you happen to get root setters that set things that fit your style? I'm sure it's even uh, more so with you, with your back. And I want to circle back to that and talk more about that. But I imagine it is attractive the idea of engaging in a sport that eliminates that element of luck and you're just picking something heavy off the ground and it's the same thing every time. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think the thing that I love most about climbing is also the thing that I dislike most about climbing competitions. It's like kind of, you know, that variety, that thing that keeps you coming back for more and that uh, keeps you interested and psyched in climbing is that it's always different. There's always a new challenge. You're never going to be the best at everything that you can be in climbing. You're not going to be the best trad climber, ice climber, sport climber, boulderer, mm -hmm. <laughs> top climber. Like you're not, you're never going to be the best at all of those, especially all at the same time. I think that's really cool. Cause there's this always something that you can chase in climbing. Uh, and like, I think that's what keeps me really excited. Like I really enjoy the feeling of getting better and uh, improving. And yeah. And then in competition, that's exactly the thing that's like kind of most frustrating is that you have no idea what you're going to get. And it mm. could be something that totally screws you over. Uh, and it could be something that totally fits your style and is, um, and perfect for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of mm -hmm. Has it always been competition climbing for you? Like when I think of you, I think of, I, first I think of uh, your training videos with Allison in the climbing gym <laughs> and the funny challenges that you guys do. But I think of you training, I think of you in the gym and I think of your competition record, which is you have this amazing track record for people that don't know what you've done. They should go to Kyra's website and just look at your competition achievements it's an incredibly long <laughs> list um has it always been comps over rock climbing 
Um, well, gr- growing up in Minnesota, I like didn't have as much like easy access to really good rock climbing and also not coming from like, a climbing family. Um, you know, I, I wasn't going on family trips to climbing areas. So I think I had slightly less exposure for that reason. Uh, also my, my parents were pretty nervous about like sending me with my team or something with just like two adult coaches <laughs> to sure. some random areas. Um, which I now totally understand, but at the time I was like, why, <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> why right. would you send me with these strangers to go climb in the middle things? of nowhere? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, now I'm totally like, that's probably smart of you looking back, but, uh, at the time it was like, well, I really want to go to the red. <laughs> and so, uh, I think I had less exposure on, uh, of it as a kid. Uh, and, but I, I do really love rock climbing. It's actually a, a big reason why I moved out to Salt Lake is mm. so that I could have easier access to climbing. I really wanted to do while also having easy access to training. Um, that way, most of my trips before were always really long trips focused only on climbing. So, um, I went to South Africa twice, but both times for like six or seven weeks. I only climbed outside. And so that's how all my trips had been up until living, living here where you can easily take a, like a, um, like a day trip to Joe's or something like that. Yeah. Sadly, the last two years I've been completely focused on the Olympics and didn't want to get injured or anything outside. So, uh, or mess with my training. So there's been a lot less rock, but like, that's definitely in the future. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Okay. That's exciting to hear about that. I know Allison just announced a hiatus essentially from competition and she just needs a break and wants to focus on outdoor rock climbing and she's thriving. She's crushing it right now on the rock. So I was curious, um, I guess I'll just ask it now. Has that shifted your curiosity around what you're capable of on rock? Has that, um, you know, sparked some greater interest or has it changed your dynamic at all with her in, in the house? I wouldn't say it's changed our dynamic at all. We kind of are pretty constant <laughs> dynamic, I think. Um, but no, she's like totally killing it on rock right now. It's really cool to see. I think our strengths in climbing are really, really different, which we actually used to think that we climbed very similarly. And then once we actually lived together, we like, and trained together all the time, we realized that our strengths were actually almost the exact opposite. She has like insanely strong fingers and can like use momentum super well to move through holds and um, like really good tension and things like that. Whereas I'm way more um, like pulling focused, I guess. Mm. And so like, I feel like together we'd make, we'd make it incredible. <laughs> <laughs> like our powers yeah. combined. Um, yeah. And so like, I'm, I'm really good at contact strength and pulling, but I'm nowhere near as good on like really tiny holds and stuff like that. So I think the styles that we gravitate towards outside are uh, pretty different as well. But, um, but yeah, I'm definitely super inspired uh, by what she's been doing. And it is, I think I've always definitely doubted myself outside more than I have in the gym or in a comp. Um, for some reason, I think I get a little scared with my back more outside. Mm. Um, just like potential of getting injured seems higher. Um, and I think that gets to me a bit more. Yeah. So sometimes it can be slightly less fun just cause I get worried about, um, like breaking my back or something. Right. And also there seems to be a lot more three dimensional moves outside, like, you know, coming around a roof or like bending and twisting and body position becomes a lot more important, I guess, uh, with really terrible holds and harder climbs. And so I think I've had a hard time sometimes finding climbs that work with my back and, mm things like that. So that can be kind of frustrating. Yeah, I imagine. Let's dive into that. I want to ask you, I'm sure some people listening to this have seen photos or, or heard you talk about it in the past, but for someone listening to this, if they were to look at an x-ray of your spine, can you describe what they would see? Yeah. Okay. So, well, now I have two stainless steel rods that go from T2 through T12. So 10 vertebrae. Um, 
on either side. And basically what it does is makes that entire section of my back one bone. So instead of having 10 joints there where you normally have like a bunch of discs and the ability to rotate and twist and bend, mine's just a bone. So it's as if you were to put like an ulna, like just in that section of your back. So occasionally there's moves where you like really want to like keep your hips into the wall and, you know, curve and like stay really close. And uh, it's like trying to bend your forearm. So oh, wow. <laughs> like if you can really think about it, like, I feel like that's my best way of describing what it feels like sometimes. So like, sometimes it's, it's frustrating. Cause like, I feel like I know climbing movement quite well. And so I'll be like, Oh, like this is what I'm supposed to do. And then I try to do it. I'm like, that's not working. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and so a lot of times there is a way for me to do a, a climb. Like, so outdoors, indoors comps, whatever. Like, I think there's very few climbs that are actually impossible. I have come across those. Um, but I think those are few and far between, but sometimes the method that works for me, uh, takes a lot longer to, to find, mm-hmm. which has been my frustration in comps as well. Recently, it just is, um, it's either harder or it just takes longer because it's more risky. Like you have to do something fast that you would want to do slow or something like that. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. How did this first come to be? You got surgery at a pretty young age, right? Yeah. I actually got it shortly after finding climbing. I, had severe idiopathic scoliosis is what they call it. So idiopathic means they don't know what caused it. So just during my growth spurt as a preteen, I, instead of growing, I just like stayed the same size and uh, my back curved instead of going straight. Uh, and it does run in my family. Like my dad has really slight scoliosis and my cousin was born with scoliosis or my cousin's child was born with scoliosis. So like, I think it's a Condi trait. <laughs> one of our, one of our worst ones, if I have to say so. <laughs> Um, thanks family. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so it came about by, I was at the gym and I was climbing a bunch and started noticing that my back was hurting all the time. And I was 11 and I was like, this is weird. Like I thought only old ladies have back pain, but I was the type of kid who wouldn't even go to the nurse in school. If I had a stomach ache or something, like I would just wait it out and not tell anybody. And so I think I waited a really long time to complain about it. And so once I started complaining about it, then it was already really bad. Uh, and I started doing some Googling and, found out it might be scoliosis and at age 11 yeah, I, you know google is a great invention what's wrong with me <laughs> my back hurts I'm yeah and so i ended up asking this pt at the gym who i knew um i was like hey can, do you know how to check for scoliosis like little 12 year old 11 year old me uh and he's like yeah like just touch your toes and so you bend over and touch your toes and you look for uh, an uneven rib hump because when your back your when your back is bent like that it affects your ribs because all your ribs are attached to the thoracic vertebrae. Mm. Uh, and so it's really obvious. And so I, I leaned over and he immediately was like, Oh, you should see a doctor. And wow. So, so I told my parents and that's how that started. Wow. And how has that evolved? Like I imagine getting your first surgery at 13, I'm guessing they didn't just put the exact same hardware that you still have in now. Cause you've presumably grown since then. Has that, has that changed? Has there been different iterations of that? No. So I've actually only had the one surgery. So, um, the way it works is so that section of my back has just never grown then since Mm. I was 12 or 13. So I I probably would have been taller than I currently am. So I'm five, four, but I have a plus four ape index. So I actually think I probably would have been five, six or maybe, yeah, like somewhere in there, like somewhere between four, five, four and five, eight, uh, if I hadn't gotten the surgery. So immediately after the surgery though, because my back was had this 72 degree bend in it, it's they straightened it out and I was two inches taller immediately. Like went in five foot, came out five two. <laughs> uh, so that was like really cool to young me. <laughs> I was like, no way. Grew two inches overnight. Um, wow. 
fascinating. So then, yeah, that that whole section of back is heals into one bone. They basically break all the vertebrae, uh, take out the discs and uh, fill it with either cadaver bone or sometimes donated from yourself um, bone marrow and uh, turn it into one bone. And so that just stays the same from then on. Wow. Yeah. Recovery that way then is actually easier in some ways than like, say, like a labrum tear because uh, like soft tissue is just really hard to heal, you know, and uh, needs a bunch of strengthening and all that stuff. Whereas like there was no mobility to gain back in my back. It was just a bone now. So I basically just had to wait for it to heal. And so four months later I could climb again. Did it feel different at first climbing again? It's, I, people have asked me that. And I just, I really can't remember. Mm. Like this has been my reality for so long that I, I, I know I, what felt different was that I felt weak because I hadn't climbed in four months. Yeah. <laughs> like I couldn't do V fives anymore or something, but I, I really can't remember what it's like to, to be able to move like that anymore. So wow. The, the things that are weird are like putting on a seatbelt is really hard. Oh. <laughs> just because it's, you have to twist to grab it. Right. Uh, and so I, I just can't twist very well. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Or like this... if somebody puts the toilet paper on the back of the... <laughs> I'm serious. This is like one of the worst ones. If they put the toilet paper on the back of the toilet, uh -huh. like I just, I cannot reach it. <laughs> This is fascinating. For people listening, I'll f I, I saw this post from you probably months ago, but it was an x-ray of your back on your Instagram. And I'll find that and I'll link to it in the show notes for people that want to see what we're talking about. It's remarkable. Like seeing it and knowing that you're an Olympian, that you have all these accomplishments under your belt, it is just totally insane to think about. It's incredible. And I'd, I'd love to hear, I actually got a question about this from a listener. In, in what ways have you focused on your training to get around your back you know like in what ways have you compensated i guess for that and the question from the listener this is from carl carl writes you seem to focus a lot on strength and things like hangboarding and campus boarding you've mentioned this elsewhere but is this to use strength and power to bypass beta that your spine can't cope with yeah i think that is definitely something i have done in the past that I think that also comes from, I didn't grow up with a coach. So I started on this team and then I ended up quitting the team when I was I think 14 or 15. Uh, and so then I trained myself from 15 until I moved to Salt Lake here in 2019. So I was 23. Uh, so trained completely by myself. And I think training those like specific movements and without having somebody setting it for you and to tell you and video you and work with you on those movements is just really hard. Uh, and so the thing that I was really able to do for myself was like train strength and power and stuff like that. And it's also what I really like. So I think I gravitated to that because I didn't have a coach telling me to do the other things and didn't have them to help me with the other things. Uh, and so I think that's kind of why I've always focused on that. Uh, but I think it has helped me overcome these like weird moves that uh, I have a lot of trouble with, um, with my back. And that is something I have focused a lot on this last year. Um, I think I, I think I've missed part of the question in this. I, there was a part I didn't answer for sure. Mm. I mean, you got the gist of it, but yeah. Um, oh, I think I, I remember what I was going to say. Go ahead. Yeah. The other part of it is I think in the last few years, as setting has changed, I've actually really had to like deal with my back head on more than I ever have in my climbing career. Cause like I never found success in competition actually until after my back surgery. Um, like I, I was competing, but I wasn't, I was making finals at nationals, like youth nationals, but wasn't podiuming or anything like that. Um, and so my first time winning youth nationals was actually a year and a half after my back surgery. Um, wow, and so like I, I think it really like jump started my motivation and stuff like that. Um, and I think setting has just become so different and so 
unique and um, like kind of sketchy that you have to climb things a certain way a lot of times. And there's not as much wiggle room to make up for it with power and stuff. And I've really had to confront it a lot. I feel like in this last two years, especially <laughs> as settings changed, um, like I felt like I have had more limitations because if you asked me five or six years ago and like, oh, do you feel like your back's limited you at all? I said, no, I think I can find interviews where I say that. Mm. Like, I'm like, oh, only every once in a while, but like almost never. And now I'd say basically all the time <laughs> I, I find moves that are really hard or different, uh, different or difficult. Is that primarily in bouldering competition or does that come into, is that changing in sport climbing competition as well in lead? It's definitely rarer in, um, in lead. And it's actually something that I'm, I'm kind of thinking about in general of maybe changing my competition focus slightly more towards lead, um, just because it, it doesn't have quite the same variability as bouldering does like still training bouldering, obviously, cause it's my, like my true love of <laughs> climbing. Um, and I think it only helps my competition sport climbing to be a good boulder because you have more power and, uh, don't rely just purely on endurance. Um, but that is something I've been debating. And like, I've actually talked to Allison a bunch about it just because it is this reality I've come to terms with uh, that I might get screwed over on boulders occasionally. And like, no matter how hard I try on those weaknesses, like there's just always going to be some of them that are hard to overcome because trying to bend your forearm is just difficult. <laughs> so um, that's yeah. like something that I've debated, like still doing bouldering competitions, obviously, but not putting all my eggs in that basket. Instead, mm. maybe putting my eggs in the in the lead basket and then, you know, seeing how it goes in bouldering, even though I'm still training it, mm. just maybe slightly differently framed. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. If you considered yourself a specialist in one competition discipline, I mean, one thing I'd love to talk to you about is the Olympics. And so obviously you know, given that you made it to Tokyo, uh, one of very few people that made it to Tokyo, an incredible achievement. I mean, you're pretty damn well-rounded at all of the things, but you've, you've considered yourself primarily a bouldering competitor to this point. Yeah. I've always like seen myself as a boulderer in general. Um, I've actually been really psyched on league climbing since getting back from the Olympics. Like I've been lead climbing multiple times a week, which, uh, like even training for the Olympics, we were mostly bouldering and doing circuits and stuff. Like weren't actually getting on a rope as often. Uh, and so like, I'm totally been, it's like the most I've been on a rope in general, I think maybe ever other than lead up to youth nationals or something. But yeah, I've always considered myself a boulder, I guess is the short answer there. Okay. Well, it seems like it's working. I mean, at the start of this conversation, we're talking about your parents just leaving after watching you at nationals and you just took third in lead at nationals. Yeah, I um this event was kind of a weird one for me in general. It kind of came at like a bad time of the year, I guess. Like I would have really liked to be able to um just kind of climb however I wanted and not focus on competitions for a few months after just so much build up leading up to the Olympics with the year delay and just all those things and the stress of the World Cups this year. Um like I just didn't have as much fun at comps as I would have normally liked to. Uh and so having nationals was like a little bit like, okay, I guess I'll do nationals because I really want to be able to compete next year. And this is part of the team qualification process. But like that being said, I, I felt good physically, just like mentally not fully in it, which just has a whole slew of emotions that goes with it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause you just, you don't like, I mean, as like a competitive person, you don't like to go into a competition, not feeling like a hundred percent there, yeah. I guess. So yeah, lead actually went well, which I was happy with, especially given that I wasn't like, I've been lead climbing a bunch, but I wasn't training for comp lead climbing, I guess. So I was happy with that. Um, and like learned some lessons that I can take into next year, hopefully. And then bouldering went really well in qualifiers. And I, I mean, it's pretty fresh. It was yesterday that we competed in semifinals and uh, the finals happened and 
semifinals just went terribly. I really, I don't know what happened. <laughs> mm. Dang. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. That's an interesting statement. I don't know what happened. Is that, um, I imagine that your brain, you're racking your brain trying to like point at, at something. What does the post-game analysis feel like after a semis that doesn't go as well as you'd hoped? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people who, who are really strong and I think would normally do really well in a round did poorly, which was weird to me. So like I, I'm tried to identify, I think that boulders were somehow simultaneously very toppable and very like mess upable, I guess. Mm. For me, the the second boulder, the ending was quite hard with my back. Like it was something I could definitely do, but I think um, like that felt really hard. And the first boulder people topped, but I, I don't know. It felt so slippery to me. <laughs> like, mm. I couldn't hold the holds at all. Uh, I'm known for having sweaty skin, but I, I don't know that one. I, it amazed me how many people did that boulder with how impossible it felt to me. So, huh. uh, and I feel like I'm usually pretty good at that type of thing. So I don't, Dang. I don't know what happened. That's yeah. like one of those ones where I'm like, I'm not sure what I could have done. <laughs> like maybe the holds could have been fresher, but you know, uh, yeah. So I kind of, the, the rounds like that, where I come away from it, not being like, could have had a different attitude, something, whatever, like none of that seems like applicable. Those are the frustrating rounds. I think where it's like, I don't think I did anything wrong. Just mm. nothing went right. Kind of. So yeah, uh, those are kind of frustrating to come away from and just be like, well, like shit luck, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do you move forward from that feeling? You know, what do you, what do you take from that? And bring that to the next competition or how do you how do you flip things around or put it behind you whatever you need to do how do you process uh, a result like that before the next competition I think something that is kind of my superpower in climbing and I've I've said this before in other interviews kind of is like my superpower is being able to really separate my self-worth and what I know about myself and my climbing um, from things like results and sends and failures and that, yeah, I think that, I think that is my superpower. I think that's really hard to do. And so when I get a result like that, I know it's not a reflection of like how good I actually am. Like, I know that I'm really strong and like capable of climbing better than that. And that, that doesn't show it. Like I was talking to another competitor who didn't do as well as she wanted. And she was like, I'm really good at bouldering. And this didn't show that. And I was like, I feel that (laughs) I like that attitude. Like, I totally agree. Like you are really good at bouldering. Like, so am I. Yeah, this definitely did not show that. So and that's, I think, just really something that happens in competition in general with how variable it is. And so uh, I think longevity in competition, you really need to be able to separate that and know that it's not necessarily a reflection of how good you are or your self-worth. That's amazing. That's really cool. I'm curious with that. What are the things that you focus on when it comes to turning that around and, and thinking more positively and thinking back and looking at yourself objectively and saying, yes, I'm really good. And yes, this doesn't, you know, this is not where my worth comes from. What are the things that give you that sense of uh, self-confidence and strength? I am good at this and self-worth. Like what are the things that you try to focus on in those moments? I think that's why I really enjoy training in general. Uh, like I'm disappointed in a competition, especially if I feel like I could have done more for, in preparation for it, like if I went in thinking, um, like if maybe I was too tired to do the last boulder, I'm like, man, I should have done more power endurance, like been able to do four boulders in a row, um, that type of thing. Like that's when I'm really disappointed if it's something that I could have fixed like that. Um, or if I go into a competition feeling like I, I didn't prepare enough, like when I could have, 
like if I had those days where I was like, I don't really feel like going to the gym today and like didn't before a competition and then doesn't go as well. Uh, like I feel like that's on me, you know? Mm. And so I like to really, that's what I really enjoy about training is that I can go in and push myself and know I'm going to be proud of the effort I put in at the very least. And especially just with competitions and how variable they are. Like I said, like that's kind of one thing that is always a constant. If you can be happy with that side of it, I guess. Mm. Yeah. The effort, the process, knowing mm -hmm. that you did everything you could do. That's yeah, that's cool. Along that same vein, I want to ask you more about the Olympics. Congratulations. First off. Thanks. What an incredible accomplishment. You're one of very few people that can say I in the climbing space that can say I am an Olympian. Um, you ended up taking 11th if I did my, my Googling correctly. And I was curious with that, you know, you're, you're one of the, so few people that made it there. You're obviously capable of standing on top of the podium if everything aligns and you get the perfect day and are able to express your capabilities when it matters at that event. The setting goes your way, all these, all these other variables. And I'm curious, are you able to appreciate what you accomplished getting to and competing in Tokyo and coming in 11th? Or is there any disappointment mixed in? I guess I'm just curious, how, how does that result in that entire experience sit with you looking back at Tokyo? Oh, man. Uh, honestly, it's still kind of hard to talk about. I think like there was so much buildup to it. And given the year off, we were kind of really able to um, hone in on weaknesses and focus on things that we thought we could do better at and really think about goals for like a really long time. Uh, being qualified for the Olympics for a year and a half is a really unique experience and a really stressful one, uh, as cool as it also was. Like it was one of the coolest times of my life, but also one of the most stressful for sure. Um, and especially with the changes that kind of setting style went through this last year and stuff like that, I think preparations got like really difficult. Um, and kind of like one of the other ways I, I guess I process competitions results and stuff like that is that every competition is a totally new competition. You know, um, one say the Salt Lake city bouldering world cup, having climbs that were really bad for my back in finals doesn't mean that the Olympics were going to have climbs that were bad for my back. You know, like they're not correlated, I guess, necessarily it's a completely new slate. And so that's like the mindset that I was going into at each competition. Um, and so going into the Olympics, I was like, all right, like I've prepared as well as I can. Like I've worked on these weaknesses so much. Um, you know, I got really good at speed climbing, uh, accomplished a lot of goals on uh, both um, lead bouldering and speed, like really focused on being a really good all arounder. And I think my strategy was slightly off um, for the girls. You really needed to have a really high result in one discipline in mm. order to make finals. Um, like there was somebody, I think who even got like fifth, fifth, like fifth, fifth, seventh or something. And she didn't make it um, to finals because you really needed that, like a one, two or three um, Got it. in order to like make finals. Um, and so I really focused on being good all around and like getting a good result in speed, a good result in bouldering and a good result in lead or like being good at all three instead of being like the best at one. Um, and I think that would have been really hard to do for speed, especially because we had so many speed specialists. Mm. So even though I was really good at speed climbing compared to a lot of the other combined athletes, um, we had, I think, five speed specialists. So the best that I was going to do was going to be sixth in speed. So I think looking back, I would have changed my strategy slightly and probably not focused on speed quite so much and maybe focused a lot more on my lead or bouldering, um, even though because I was just spread pretty thin between the three. So I, I do feel like I was in very good shape for all of them, but just not in like 
peak shape for one of them, um, which maybe would have been the better strategy, I guess. Um, and yeah, doing that for bouldering is risky because it is kind of a dice roll, especially for me with the style of moves that they've been setting this year. Kind of two of the moves that I was hoping would never would not show up at the Olympics showed up to, like twice in the bouldering round and once on the lead on the lead route. So like I was just kind of crossing my fingers and like knew that like hoping for the best on that one. And I remember looking up at the lead route I, like with my binoculars like while we were reading it and thinking about how Nathaniel pulled out uh, like such a good lead climb and made finals because of it. And I was like, I can definitely do that. Like this round is not like this. This is not over yet. And then I saw this move in the middle of the lead climb and I was like, uh oh, <laughs> like that's gonna be hard. And then I was talking to Josh, our coach in ISO. And I was like, well, I know I can do that move. <laughs> and then uh, I did do that move, but it was way harder than I was expecting and just got tanked. So can you describe it? What was it that you saw that gave you that feeling? Yeah. So this move that has been like really popular this year has been putting presses on overhangs. So like you grab like a big hold that's maybe on a volume, but you're on an overhang. So maybe it's like a 30 degree overhang. Um, and then you have a foot over to the right. And you have to mantle up on this hold on the overhang and like grab a hold above you. And what's really hard about that is if it's on an overhang, especially in order to keep your body into the wall so that you don't fall out, like keep your, um, your butt into the wall, you need to arch your back. Uh. And then to grab a hold behind you, you have to also twist. And then usually what you have to do from there is hand foot match to do the next move. And so bending and twisting is already hard for me. And then as soon as I have to put my foot up, I, uh, I get really stuck. Um, and so I did this move and I was like, oh, fuck yeah, I did this move. And then I was like, oh no, I have to put my foot right here. <laughs> like that was my internal dialogue. <laughs> and uh, you can see the, the video of me doing this move and I'm trying so hard and it's like, I'm not pumped at all. And then all of a sudden I'm just like gassed. And so uh, um, I, I was kind of bummed because I felt like I really worked on my lead climbing leading to that event. And then um, that didn't, that just didn't go as well as I, I was hoping. Yeah. So I didn't really feel like I got to show off many of my strengths. I guess as much as I wanted to, I had good speed runs, which I was happy with. And the fourth boulder I really enjoyed. Um, and I think if I hadn't have been so stretched thin with the other, um, disciplines, I could have, that would be, would have been something I would have loved. And I think been able to house in a, in a different environment, I guess, but so that was the only other thing I was bummed about, I guess. Yeah. A long rambling response. No, that's great. I'm just, I'm just fascinated <laughs> with the Olympics in general, because I've always been fascinated by this. Like you, you know, you, you take these other popular sports that we all watch track and field and swimming and things like that. And I can name Usain Bolt and I can name Michael Phelps. And I literally can't name anyone else who ran against those people in those events, right? Like I can think of the number one. And then there's these other people that got second, third, fourth, fifth, eighth, 12th, 20th, whatever in the world. And that's such an incredible achievement. And it's so weird and and funny to me that we just all of the emphasis goes on the number one you know and i i guess i just hope for you that you can you know have these moments where you zoom out and and just appreciate like i made it to the freaking olympics and i got 11th in the world out of everybody like that's that's amazing it's incredible yeah and actually something i am that i found out i'm pretty sure um is that i i'm also the first olympian to ever have a spinal fusion so that's kind of cool. First well, Olympian, of, of period. The, um, at least as large of a spinal fusion that I have. I know there's a couple people who had scoliosis and then got a fusion after they competed at the Olympics. Um, but I'm not, I think the first one to um, compete at the Olympics with a like at least as big of a spinal fusion that I had. So like that's pretty cool too. And the number of messages I get on Instagram and stuff, um, 
from people who either had spinal injuries or spinal fusions, same as me, or our kids who are looking at getting the surgery or parents who found me. It's like, it's really cool. I think it's like the platform that making the Olympics gave me in order to reach out to like so many other people with like similar conditions to that. What I have, I think is, is really, really cool. And something that I am really grateful to have the opportunity to do, I guess. Wow. That's amazing. That's super cool. I want to ask you, you, you talked briefly about your goals. I, I wanted to ask you after talking with Allison about your goal setting. It sounds like you and, and she have very different processes for setting goals. And I think the way she described it is like she has to be really careful with setting goals because it creates this pressure that can be counterproductive. And it sounds like for you, it's way more of like, I want to do this. I'm going to do it. How do I make it happen? Can you describe your goal setting process? Yeah, I would say I, I'm not like the type of person who like has a bullet journal and writes down goals and writes, you know, make Olympics, you know, but kind of as soon as I decide something is going to happen, like that is what my focus is on. So as soon as the Olympics were announced in 2016, I was like, I want to compete at the Olympics. <laughs> I was like, I, I know that's true. Like I'm a huge Olympic fan. Uh, I love competition climbing. This is my end goal, obviously. And then, you know, that's what I work towards. And really like admitting it out loud to other people was harder to me than setting it for myself, I think. Mm. Um, but like that came from more from like, kind of, it was getting a bunch of like hate at first, you know, and like, oh, is it cool to want to go to the Olympics? Uh, and then I realized that that didn't matter at all. And that of course it was cool to want to go to the Olympics. So. <laughs> what, I'm, I'm, that's fascinating to me. Where were you getting that from? Um, well, I mean, of course people were upset about the the format at yeah. first, um, and that it wasn't true to climbing. Um, but I think it's a really good stepping stone into getting all three disciplines of climbing into the Olympics. Totally. Um, yeah. Obviously 2024 is already separated speed out from bouldering and lead and hopefully 2028 will be all three. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think where I grew up in, in Minnesota, like I was the only person and grew up until I was 23. <laughs> I was the only person who was focusing on competition results really at all. And so it was, I was kind of the outlier there. Um, and so I think trying to fit in with that crew a lot. Like I knew it was my goal and I knew that that's what I was working for and it didn't change anything that I was doing, but I just wasn't saying it out loud as much. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. What have your goals looked like post the 2020 Olympics? I was actually just talking to my coach, Josh. So Josh is actually a huge reason why I moved out to Salt Lake City in general. He's the full-time USA climbing coach. Um, we have the training center here um, and he's just incredible. Really, really amazing setter and movement coach. I think, I think he's best in the country and wow. one of the best in the world. This is Josh Larson for people. And in, in case we missed that. Yeah. Um, and so working with him has just been absolutely game changing for me, I guess. Uh, I just been able to work on a lot of things I couldn't work on before by myself, but I was just talking to him after nationals and I was like, I'm really liking not having a goal. <laughs> right now. Wow. Okay. Like I'm really liking going into the gym and just, following my heart, like, Oh, I want to campus today. And just I'll campus or be like, I want to do dune boulders. Like I want to climb really hard moon boulders. So it's, I'm like, my intensity is still really high, um, but I'm not going into the gym and being like, I have to lead climb today. Uh, because that's what so much of this last year was, was like, okay, I have to boulder today and I make have to make sure I do speed tomorrow. And then I want to make sure I hang board. So like, you know, just like, I felt like I had to do them. And so now I'm like going into the gym and being like, Oh man, I want to hang board. I got my fingers will get stronger. <laughs> it's like following that psych and my psych has been super high since then. So, um, 
And like, I'm, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to go to Red Rock this weekend, actually. And somebody's like, oh, what's your goal? I'm like, I am star chasing. I want to get on good, amazing, beautiful rock climbs. (laughs) (laughs) I want to enjoy the heck out of it. Uh, Like I'm not, I don't really, I don't really feel like, I mean, I am like an intense person. I like to push myself, uh, but I'm kind of enjoying the break of feeling like I have to do that right now, even though I still am, Mm. I guess, if that makes sense. Totally. That totally makes sense. Star chasing. I love that. What a fun way to go rock climbing. (laughs) Yeah. I did that actually in Joe's Valley the other weekend. Uh, I just went and got on a bunch of like V6s and V7s that I like had never touched before. I just had a great time. I did 40 V points in the day. Nice. uh, And just did like some of the hardest V7s. I tried so hard on some of these. Uh, (laughs) Like there was one that was just this like sloper lip traverse called Mr. Duck. I swear it's V10. I was like, V7 climbers do this? This is crazy. Maybe they Um, do. Maybe they don't. You never know. But it was one of those. So it was like a day of that and it was just really fun. Um, So I've been enjoying it for sure. Did you feel burned out after Tokyo? I was wondering if I would, like, I was kind of, like I said, I was going to follow my heart. Like if I got back and didn't want to climb at all, um, then I was going to not climb at all. And then if I got back and wanted to go to the gym immediately, then I was going to do that. And literally, I think we flew in and I think we went to the gym that day. I <laughs> 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 like, just like, and climbed a bunch of boulders. Um, and yeah, I just kind of following the psych. I, like I said, I think my other superpower in climbing is kind of limitless psych. Um, that's a good one. Good. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, I get that question a lot. Like, how do you stay motivated? And I was like, oh, man, I don't know. I just have so much energy all the time. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so I, I also just have like not a lot to do if I'm not climbing. So I really want to go <laughs> on like a non climbing vacation. And I think I might do that in December here. Now that nationals is over. Nice. Um, I take climbing off the table as an option. Like you can't go to the climbing gym, uh, and just like relax and do other stuff just for a week or something. Um, but no, otherwise I didn't really have a burnout. I have a little bit of a burnout on actual competitions right now, just because of, um, like I said, just coming to terms with actually having a disability and like never having thought about, about it that way before. Mm. <laughs> um, it just is taxing mentally, I guess. And, but training, I don't think about that at all. So I wanted to ask you that earlier and I'm going to, I'm going to work that in now. Um, I've noticed you talking about your back more in the last couple of years, I assume with the Olympics. And I'm curious, like it it seems like there's two sides to that. I can imagine that it's probably cathartic and really helpful. And I mean, it's badass. like to, you know, what you've accomplished with the context of having a fused spine is different than if you hadn't had a fused spine. It's, it's really inspiring. Um, You already talked about all the the people that are reaching out and giving you that feedback has it been helpful to talk more openly about it? And I'm curious if it ever, if that label, you know, having a disability, can that ever hold you back? Um, I kind of go back and forth on that. So like Josh, my coach, like tries to not let me use it as an excuse very often, um, you know, which can be really helpful, but also kind of frustrating, you know? So I think it's good. Like, I think it's a really good um, dynamic to have us both have like different viewpoints on it. So he's looking at it like you have a thing to do and you need to do it. Like no matter what, doesn't matter if your back is fused, doesn't matter. Like whatever, like this is your climb. You got to try it, you know? Uh, and like, I'm looking at it like, man, this climb is going to be so hard for me. Like it has this move on it, like blah, blah, blah. And so having kind of some like that alternate voice to, to push me to try it anyway is like really, really helpful. But I think having, I've, I've learned a lot of tricks to get around like some of the moves that specifically cause me difficulty and talking about it is helpful. And I think, it does make me slightly more relatable, I think, in some ways. Like, I think pro climbers kind of have this um, unattainability, like, 
Yes. Thing around them. <laughs> you guys a lot do. Of times. Yes. Yeah, and I I don't like that. I think mm. uh, I want to be really approachable at the gym. Like I want people to talk to me. Like if me personally, like this is I know this is not for everybody. If I have headphones in, it's because I want to be listening to music. It's not because I don't want to talk to people. Like mm. <laughs> you know, like I will take a headphone out and talk to anybody any day. Um, and uh, I think being approachable. I, I just hope that that like helps grow the community in general just because climbing already is so much of a um kind of gate kept sport mm. so like definitely don't want to add to that and so i think talking about things that like make you more relatable and the sport more relatable and attainable potentially is like good so talk i don't mind talking about it too much awesome that's super cool how are you feeling about the 2024 olympics it's so funny you get off the wall at um in tokyo and you sit behind the wall for five minutes and then they take you immediately to a media tent and you are like process. You just finished. You just <laughs> finished competing at the Olympics, right? Like you're, you have your bib on, and you immediately go into this media tent, and they're like, "2024, what are your thoughts?" And I'm like, "I don't know, man. I just like fell off this lead climb. <laughs> Give me a sec." Um, and uh, then they asked you about like why. What? How do you feel about your family not being here? And I was like, "It's it's okay." <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, it's like, I mean, you know, obviously like huge goal competing at the Olympics. Uh, you know, another bigger goal would be meddling at the Olympics. Um, the new format I think is going to be really interesting. I'm on a lot of committees within USA climbing and the IFSC. Like I'm on the board of USA climbing, uh, on the athlete commission for the IFSC, for the Pan Am, uh, for the Pan American commission too, and all these different things. And so I hear a lot of the behind the scenes about how scoring will work and how they're debating how changing it and stuff like that basically it's gonna favor lead climbing uh hmm. like the new format it's basically impossible to evenly uh weight bouldering and lead with the way that they want to score it huh uh they basically they want it to be less complicated so they don't want to involve any sort of multiplication and stuff like that so it wants to be simple simple addition and kind of if you watch a lead comp most people top or get near the top and we've all watched a final where only one person tops one boulder you know so mm. <laughs> Uh, making them even is going to be really difficult with some sort of addition. And so I, I'm just really intrigued to see how this new format works, first of all. Um, but I am really still psyched on competing. Uh, like I said, I'm a little burnt out right now, uh, but I still have a lot of goals that I feel like I haven't accomplished, even though I did accomplish that huge goal of going to the Olympics. So um, we'll see what happens, but uh, I am still psyched. So <laughs> Cool. I wanted to ask you, um, Broadly speaking, how did your training change preparing for Tokyo? You already talked about how much more prescriptive it was, you know, like you have to go and sport climb and you have to be ready to speed climb the next day and, and whatever else. Um, but yeah, any, any additional thoughts on how things changed or, or what felt important to change leading up for this specific pinnacle competition that you had on your on your calendar? I think the biggest thing I did different was climbing on a lot more competition style boulders. So my best year competing on the world cup circuit was in 2018. I made two finals in bouldering, had really good results. Um, like, and I only, but I only went to four comps and I was training only on a 40 and 45 degree overhanging wall on old holds. So my hands are like super strong and I was really good at big moves. Like I was not climbing on volumes at all. Like it was, it was transferring. Okay. Uh, and I think I got away with that in 2018 because the style was different. Uh, and then in the last two years, like as styles changed, I've, climbed a lot more on that style and I've gotten way better at it. And it's just like, it's still evolving. And so that's something that I did really different leading up into the Olympics. Um, 
having to speed climb is actually really exhausting. Like it is it just drains your power. And so hmm. that's something coming back from Tokyo and not speed climbing. I felt just like so much more energy. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize it. Um, just cause it just drains your power so quickly. Cause it just takes so much effort. So that was something that changed a lot, obviously was the speed climbing. Uh, and I've been doing a lot less like two a day training. Um, like instead of getting up at eight and going to the gym and then going again at four, um, I've been doing a lot more of go to the gym at noon mm. <laughs> and then just stay there for longer or something like that. Um, so I, I guess it, it was a lot more regimented and that was an experiment. And I'm not sure I liked it. Like, I think hmm. my brain does better with chaos in general. So, uh, I, I, we've actually, my sponsor, like mountain hardware, like, uh, one of my biggest partners, uh, we called it organized chaos was like their idea. They're like Kyra organized chaos. Cause I am like really organized and neat. Like my room's super clean. My house is super clean. Yeah. But in general, I feel like I thrive on chaos. Like I do well when things are like all over the place. That's fascinating. I've actually geeked out on this quite a lot. And there's there's tons of research on that. Like different people have different, every person has a different um, makeup of brain chemistry, different neurotransmitters that are, you know, some people are dopamine dominant, some people have more acetylcholine, and some people are really even. And you seem like a dopamine person. Um, and those people tend to thrive on high intensity, lots of random different things, like their training's different every day, uh, more days on. Um, things along those lines, just more variety in their training. So yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. That actually, that checks out. That makes sense. Yeah, uh, totally. Actually. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. Cause I think a lot of people, like some of my friends think I'm super type A because they see my house and like how everything has like a place and like, I know exactly where it is and all this stuff. But then if you look at like, um, like, yeah, looking at my closet versus looking at my training schedule, like totally different things. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's bookmark that. I want to circle back to that in one second. But first, I just want to ask, how much better did you get from this year or more, however long it was, of targeted prep for the Olympics? Did it change your climbing? And, and what did you notice uh, more broadly in your climbing across the board in all these different disciplines? It's interesting. I think I think I became less specialized. So I, I think if you ask me about bouldering only, I definitely got better at competition style boulders, but I feel weaker on like the style that I was really good at before. Cause it used to be that I think I was like one of the best at the style that I was best at, which is like kind of that more straightforward, hard pulling stuff. And I definitely lost some of that in order to gain some of this other strengths and like other kind of specific competition style movements. Um, just cause you can't do everything. <laughs> um, and that's kind of like what I was saying earlier, like way earlier in this conversation, about how you can never be the best at everything and climbing at the same time. Like you're not going to be the best board climber while also being the best uh, speed climber, while also being the best league climber, while also being the best trad climber, outdoor climber, all these things. And so like, I kind of had to sacrifice some of my like strengths in order to work on these weaknesses. And I'm not sure if that was the right strategy or not, but I do think I got a lot better at some of these movements that I was really bad at and just general movement on the wall. I think I got a lot better at even though I don't feel quite as strong as I was like in 2017. <laughs> so like, I want to get that back, um, <laughs> kind of stay a little bit more true to my roots in this next year with it not being um, like an Olympic year or a qual Olympic qualifying year. I think I really want to kind of experiment and see if what, like which side of that I should lean towards. Cause I think there's a better balance than what I did this last year. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. And then I want to ask you this question. I asked Nathaniel Coleman the same thing. Do you plan to do any speed climbing again? 
<laughs> is that so done? So my my biggest goal in speed climbing was to, to get a seven, and I did that. So I I feel I feel accomplished. I nice. got my seven. Nice. I have a video of it. Like I got a video <laughs> of me getting a seven. Uh, it was timed with a timer. Was that at that in wasn't comp, at the event? I got, huh? That was not at the event. It was okay. at uh, the front actually. But in comp, I got two really low eights, like eight point oh something. Okay. I don't remember what my times were, but um. So I feel I feel quite accomplished with my speed climbing. I don't I don't need to do it anymore. I have huge respect for speed though. I've always really loved it, and nice. I think it's kind of what we were talking about where there's that direct kind of reward to your hard work. Uh, in bouldering, you can be like, I think I'm stronger now than I was before. Like, but <laughs> right. it's like there's so many things that like like are part of being a good boulder. Whereas speed, it's like, wow, I am a second faster than I was a year ago. Sick. <laughs> totally. It's just kind of a a nice difference like or juxtaposition to uh like difficulty climbing but i i don't i probably will not be doing more speed in my near future at least got you got you i would totally do another like seco block style comp or oh, okay because i climb naturally really fast i think that's actually why i'm good at speed climbing i'm just like a fast person i talk fast i do things fast <laughs> uh, yeah uh and so like dual is like I think where I, I thrive. I think that's my calling actually in climbing. Okay, it's like do like sequel block totally my is like my my thing. <laughs> awesome, awesome! It's so fun to watch too. For people that haven't seen it, I'll I'll find some videos and link to it. But it's two climbers climbing side by side up this wall, and it's a difficult route. It's not like a speed climbing route where you're just literally sprinting up something relatively easy. But it's it's pretty hard. But you have to climb fast, and it's who either gets higher on the route or gets to the top first um and it's over this giant pool and the climbers don't have ropes and if they fall they just plummet into the into the water and it's really exciting uh, it looks terrifying by the way yeah for me i i wasn't sure if i could do it like without a crowd there like i just didn't want to look like a wimp in front of a huge crowd of like two thousand people <laughs> yeah um, but then i actually went on a really cool deep water soloing trip to vietnam in, oh yeah i think it was beginning of 2018 um and was able to like do something just as tall over the ocean, which was like way cool. One of the coolest experiences of my life was climbing in Vietnam for sure. That's amazing. I'm so glad you brought that up. I talked to John Glassberg about that and I had totally forgotten. It was you, they were filming it. They made a really cool film about it. Uh, was it you and Tim Emmett? It was me and Tim Emmett, yeah. And uh, if you've ever seen the dosage films, Tim Emmett is the one in the dosage films. And uh, he like pioneered that area, that the deep water soloing in that area or partially. And then I got to go back with him 15 years later when he hadn't been back since then. And so it was, it was really cool. Tim is probably the most psyched person. I know. Like we, were, <laughs> we, we, were, we lived on a boat for seven days and I would be like just waking up. The boat turned on at 5 a.m. and the engine was so loud. And so like you'd wake up to the, the engine going and like I'd look out the window and Tim was already like paddle boarding. <laughs> Out to, to the rock and just being like, Kyra, look at this one. <laughs> I'm like, I'd like, let me get some coffee quick. Like, I don't know. So, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I've actually, uh, I'm, I think I'm going to have him on. I've been talking with him back and forth and um, he, he seems like he has endless psych. It'll be really fun to chat with him. Endless psych and endless stories. That guy uh, <laughs> has done a lot of things. It is nuts. I love talking to Tim. Perfect. Those are perfect qualities in a podcast guest. Okay. This is too good a lead in. Uh, Liam asked you, your sport climbing style is extremely fast as though you favor outrunning the pump over a more slow but efficient approach. Has this always been your style on a rope? Have you ever tried to change 
your style or have you always embraced it? Um, I think, so actually this relates really well to nationals this weekend. I do have like more endurance right now than I'm used to having. So I kind of tried to climb like a lead climber, like, oh, like I can rest now. Like I can rest on this climb and I try and climb a little slower and more careful, I guess. But that isn't how I naturally climb. I naturally climb fast. I've always climbed fast. And so that actually just was, it's harder for me. I, I find it more difficult. Like I get more pumped partially probably because I'm taking more time on the wall, but it's just like not how my body wants to move. And so then in finals for lead, because semifinals didn't go quite well when I was trying to climb kind of more like a lead climber, quote unquote. Um, and so I was like, climb like yourself. Like, how would you climb this if you were with somebody at the gym and like they were playing you like someone random, you know? And that's what I did. I just climbed it. Like I was at the gym training and, uh, felt way more like myself on the wall. Felt like I actually had like way more try hard even. Like, I think when I was trying to climb like a lead climber, um, quote unquote lead climber, yeah, what, is, what does <laughs> I that mean? Climber, I guess, um, just slower. I, and I think if you look at like some of the really good female lead climbers, especially like Yanya, not included. She has like a wild style that I actually love watching. Um, but like, if you look at like the Jane Kims or, um, and Charlotte Durif, who is actually Josh Larson's wife. Um, she is like super controlled, super slow. Um, really good at like high heels and like rocking up and like using as little energy as possible to mm. do moves. And I think I also use little energy to do moves, but just quickly. <laughs> and so as mm. soon as I try and climb slow, cause it's just so foreign to me, I'm using way more energy somehow. So, yeah, I think if I can get that same efficiency when I'm pumped, um, which I think just comes with more time on a rope. That's I think one of the things I need to unlock for my lead climbing, I guess. Cool. Cool. I'm, I'm fascinated with climbing pace. It's, you know, it's a question that gets asked sometimes. I've thought about this too. Like, should I, I, I climb, I climb faster than I used to. I used to be literally my nickname in college was sloth because everything was like three points of contact, super controlled. I, I could not dead point anything. I had to like move statically to everything and I've gotten a lot better, but, um, I've always wondered like, should I try to increase my pace? But the, the spectrum of pacing at the highest level of competition and outdoor climbing is so wide. It's, it's just incredible that someone like Kai Leitner can do just as well as someone like Adam Andre, who's, you know, flying up the wall. Yeah. Kai's very slow and deliberate and precise and Adam's just racing and, and taking a little bit more risk. And you see people everywhere on the spectrum at those yeah. highest levels. And I think it's just, it seems to be just whatever fits you and your style and your personality. Yeah. My theory actually, and I, this also relates to like hangboarding, um, has always been to train what you're good at, but then, but also supplement with what you're bad at. So, uh, for example, I'm like, I climb with four fingers. I never drag almost ever, hmm. uh, like climb with three fingers. Um, and hangboarding, my natural grip is four fingers. It's way stronger, like way, way stronger. Uh, and so when I'm hangboarding, I hangboard with four fingers. If somebody's natural grip that they're way stronger at is three fingers, I think that's how they should hangboard and maybe supplement in with four finger hangs. Mm. Um, and then same with me, like I should supplement in three finger hangs, maybe with assistance. Cause I can't do the same that I can with four fingers, but I think that's how I naturally climb. That's probably some sort of morphology of my own that favors that type of climbing for some reason. And so my theory is train what you're good at, but also supplement in what you're bad at. And I think that goes just like with, um, with what you were saying as well. Like I naturally climb fast, climbing slow is really foreign to me. So in training, if I can, you know, every once in a while, I'll be like, okay, Josh, how fast should I do this climb? And he's like five minutes on the wall. And I'm like, okay, like 
So I try to do all the moves slowly so I can do it in five minutes, like not just like get to the top and wait for four minutes <laughs> up there, you know? Um, yeah. Like try and climb it at like in a different style to like work on it. But then when I'm on sighting or in a comp or like that, I climb as naturally as I can because that's my most efficient method. Mm. It's always been my way, at least. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I like that. There's uh, That's actually something that I'm focusing on myself right now is doubling down on my strengths. I've always obsessed over training weaknesses and I'm I'm realizing I think I'm leaving I'm leaving some things on the table by not training my strengths and I enjoy training my strengths. I just yeah, why not? Why not get yeah, the most out of them? That's kind of something that I I would have changed about this last year is I I focused mm. a lot on weaknesses and I think I would have wanted and I I I obviously trained my strengths as well like I I felt really good on like the spray wall and stuff like that. Um but I I think I would have not just for the mental energy of training weaknesses. It's just, it's, it's harder. Like it is much mm. harder on your brain to like, just constantly be working on things that you're bad at. Right. Um, and so I think I would have saved a little bit more of that mental energy so that I think I wouldn't have had quite the same burnout on like comp style moves and like the moves that were hard for me specifically. Like I wouldn't have had quite the same burnout, um, that I had if I think if I hadn't worked on them so much. Gotcha. Yeah. Who do we have joining us? This is Pepper. She's my needy cat. Um, <laughs> she jumped up here. Your needy uh, one. I have, I have two, actually. Pika is my other one. I got them. They're quarantine cats. Uh, I was living alone before Allison moved here because um, she moved in kind of the middle of the pandemic. And uh, I remember I texted my dad because I was like, oh, I really want a cat. Like, I want a cat so bad. And I was like, he's going to tell me now. He's going to tell me that I shouldn't get a cat. Like, I've traveled too much or something. And I texted him. I was like, Dad, should I get a cat? And he goes, you should get two. <laughs> like great idea dad i'm like i'm glad i asked um and so i ended up adopting these guys uh from cause is uh yeah it's like i don't even, i don't know what it stands for but it stands for something but it's a utah animal rescue okay okay um this is one of the questions from allison how did your cats go from being the ugliest creatures you've ever seen to being adorable angels so i, I can send you these photos later but <laughs> Please, um, yeah when I was looking at cats to adopt, or at least thinking about adopting a cat, me and Allison were still FaceTiming all the time because it was during the middle of the pandemic and we were both super bored and lonely all the time. Um, and so we would spend like three hour FaceTime sessions just looking at Utah cat adoption websites. And so we knew like all of the cats that were up for adoption by name. And two, we were making fun of these two cats named Wu and Bubbles that were a bonded pair. So these guys are a bonded pair. They're sisters. Um, but that was their names before I got them. And they were just the ugliest kittens. I don't know how they're. And so the lady who I, I went to her house to try and adopt cats, I was looking at some of these other ones and she's like, oh, well, I have woo and bubbles upstairs. And I think I actually laughed. I was like, oh, those cats. <laughs> and then uh, I went upstairs to check them out and they were older and less sickly. <laughs> and they just were way too cute. But Aww. I thought it was so funny that they, uh, they went through such a glow up. <laughs> um, and I, I have a soft spot in my, in my heart for, um, long-haired cats because i grew up with a long-haired cat from age one until 20 same cat wow and so yeah she was she she got to old age and uh like totally grew up with her i got her my entire life and so like the first night i got these guys i think i cried because <laughs> they reminded me of my old cat so oh that's that's cute that's amazing so pepper what was the other one's name pika pepper and pika yeah i probably shouldn't name them such similar names because i just mix them up all the time <laughs> That works. <laughs> okay, going back to um, 
the chaos and the cleanliness. I love this question made me crack up out loud. This is another one from <laughs> Allison. And it just, there's so much color and such a glimpse into who you are from this question. Allison writes, ask her which of her four vacuums is her favorite. <laughs> okay. Uh, I would have to say my newest one, <laughs> which I bought recently. Uh, and I got a robot vacuum. Uh, and so her name's Martha. She's a <laughs> robo rock. This is not sponsored, but I love her. Uh, <laughs> um, named after Martha Stewart. And uh, my apartment's like pretty small. But the cats, because they're long hair, like, and they fight or like play fight all the time. There's just like dust bunnies of of cat hair everywhere. And I like, I'm a clean person. I really like my house to be clean. And it was driving me crazy. I literally could not vacuum fast enough to get all this cat hair up. And so I love Martha and her ability to just, I can leave my house and I can start her on my phone. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I will rave about Martha. That's amazing. Do you supplement with one of your other vacuums? Do you, do you still push one around? Uh, I do. I have I have a Dyson plug-in vacuum as well because it's a small apartment, so I can plug it in one spot and not have to unplug it. Um, and then I have a little handheld one, and then I have the first one that I bought when I moved in that it, it's not very good. That one was just, that was a trash vacuum. Got you. Got you. Least favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> do all of your four have names? Your four vacuums? No, only Martha. Okay, <laughs> only Martha. Um, this goes in line with that. Allison writes, ask her what she would do if they banned the use of dish gloves in all private homes. Um, okay, so climbers historically hate doing the dishes. I don't mind. I really do not mind doing the dishes if I have dish gloves. I, I do not want to touch wet food. <laughs> like, just at all. Like, not even in the slide. I can't even, I don't like touching a wet sponge. And uh -huh. it's not, it's not even my skin. It just grosses me out. Um, I, was gonna I think ask most that. people don't like it because like I have really sweaty skin too. So like I do try and be a little careful with that. I don't think that helps that much. <laughs> really? But I have, I have a different opinion. It's like, it's like changed my skin game because I'm a hundred percent on your, on your page. I use dishwashing gloves every time yeah. I do the dishes yeah, and I don't I, get splits I anymore. Really? Well, so I never got splits. I have really sweaty skin. Okay. It's like I, I never split almost ever. Uh, I can use antihydral for like three days in a row and like still not have callus. <laughs> Um, which is really unfortunate for comp climbing actually. Um, but it's probably the second, the thing I complain about the second most, uh, it's probably mostly my skin and then second most is my back. <laughs> <laughs> you ask anybody who trains with me, those are like my two main things, but, um, but yeah, I love dish gloves. I'm a big dish club ambassador. <laughs> <laughs> you sponsored by a dishwashing glove brand. I, well, I, have, a, I, have, a, I have a, uh, <laughs> Uh, clothes washing brand detergent. There we go. <laughs> you have a detergent sponsor. Yeah, I'm. I work with uh, Priscilla ProClean. Okay. Um, we did a like they did a documentary on me, basically, um, kind of about the back and the Olympics and stuff like that. How did that come to be? Uh, the way that that type of stuff works sometimes um, is the production company actually had this idea of like what they they really wanted to tell my story, and so then they pitched it to brands. Okay. Um, and that's how that that that's how that one worked out. That's not how most things do, I guess. And you're like, but, hey, I like doing laundry. Yeah, I mean, I'm, it actually is quite on brand. Like I was telling you, I am a very clean person. <laughs> I, uh, so, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> give me, give me some of the other ones. Like, what are some of the other things, tidying or cleaning, like other quirky habits that you have, or things that you do way more often than most people? 
usually if I'm just home and like standing around, I, I am cleaning something like, I guess it, like a quirk is all of my clothes face right. And my, in my um, closet, like they are all on the hanger and face right. So that, that like, if I was standing in my clothes, it would be that direction, you know? Uh, <laughs> uh, and like, I have them sorted by type as well. Somebody walked into my closet and they were like, this is the most organized closet I have ever seen. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, and um, let's see what else I, yeah. Like if I, I bet my bathroom's always clean cause I'm just cleaning it all the time. I, it's like kind of just my go-to activity if I'm home is cleaning. I don't, I don't know why. Okay. <laughs> is it the act of cleaning? Like, do you enjoy the act of cleaning? Is it, you know, um, therapeutic or anything like that? Or is it just the result of having a clean space? That is a good question. I actually, I think it's both. I think I really like having a clean space. Uh, but then I, I also just really don't mind cleaning and I, I'm not, I don't like sitting and doing nothing, I guess. Um, I get that from my mom. We've always called her an energizer bunny of a person. Um, and so I think I get that from her of like always wanting to be do something. So like I'll put on Netflix, but I'll do the dishes and like, then I'll be like, Oh, I'm doing the dishes. So I'll clean the counter. So then I move everything off the counter and then I'm like, Oh, well I moved everything. So like, maybe I can reorganize this. And it <laughs> just like, it, it all adds up on itself. Or uh, one day I was like, oh, like, I can just move this shelf down so that I can put my plant up here. And then as soon as I moved the shelf down, I was like, oh, I have to paint behind it. So then I was painting <laughs> behind it. <laughs> you know, so like, it just like adds on itself. <laughs> do you ever just veg out? Like, what do you do when you just need to totally turn your brain off and recharge? I I love movies. I, um, okay. I, I mean, I'm wearing my Marvel shirt. Uh, yeah, you are. But, uh, I absolutely love sad movies. I think this is like my sappiest thing is that um, like I watched this terrible movie the other day on Netflix. Like it was, it gets like 28% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is not good. It is objectively cheesy and bad. Uh, and I cried for like 25 minutes, the entire ending. I cried <laughs> and I just love it. I just love crying about like non-existent things. <laughs> That's amazing. But are, I, I mean, I don't like crying in real life. And I really don't cry <laughs> yeah, in real life that much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, I'm, I'm not too much of a crier, I think. Yeah. Um, and, I, yeah, that's one of my, like, veg out things, I guess. Yeah, just, like, empathizing with the characters and getting lost in, in their world. Totally. Yeah, what are some favorites? What Do you rewatch movies? I do rewatch movies, especially if it has been a while or if I want to show somebody it. Um, but I wouldn't say, like, I'm an avid rewatcher. I tend to love seeing new movies, too. Um I, I use Reddit to find movies a lot of times uh, huh. or like look at uh, if I've seen a movie, I'm like, I feel like there's a deeper meaning that I missed this movie. <laughs> I, I go on Reddit and like look at people's series. That's um, cool. What do you type in if you're looking for movies on Reddit? Um, there is r slash movies, um, which has like a bunch of people that'll be like, what is like top five movies on Netflix? And people will say it or whatever. Um, that type of stuff is really good for finding things. And then if you actually just type in like the name of the movie and then Reddit, you can find the thread about it from r slash movies or from some other spot. Um, and usually people have like pretty insightful, interesting things that they say about it. So, um, but I really like watching new movies. I got really, really into Marvel. Um, like I was always, I always liked it. And then I got way into it way more than I was before, even than uh, during the pandemic. Cause I rewatched all of them in order. Wow. <laughs> and then just got like deep. <laughs> That's a um, hell of an undertaking these days. It was. How yeah. many are there? <laughs> now um now it's getting harder yeah especially with all the tv shows and stuff 
Uh, so I did it at the right time. I think there was 24 movies when I watched them in order. 24. That's and now, incredible. Because of the delay in the movie releases, I think I went and saw like five movie premieres in the last like seven weeks. <laughs> so, wow. Um, yeah, but really big into movies. Really like those. Um, and then me and Allison always try and have a show that we're watching together so that we have something to put on when we're both home. Uh, and so right now we just started watching New Girl, which is way funnier when you're in your mid-20s. <laughs> It's like just it's way more relatable. So that's that's pretty funny. Nice. Do you have a favorite uh, superhero Marvel character or Marvel film or film series? Um, I have a soft spot for Paul Rudd. I love him. Mm. So I do love Ant-Man. Um, and then Spider-Man is actually my favorite, I think. Uh, the, the Tom Holland one specifically. So the new movie's coming out really soon. And I'm super excited. Nice. I shamelessly actually messaged the met the instagram trying to use the power of the blue check on my instagram <laughs> to see if i could get a premiere ticket <laughs> i don't think it's gonna work <laughs> I, really I have zero i have close to zero hope they have like 3.1 million followers it's like the official spider-man account okay but i messaged them and i was like hey i big marvel fan here olympic rock climber yeah i'm an olympian we could do something that doesn't like get you in the movie come on well i would i would love to you know that I was know. The we'll right. see if that pans out i it's a that <laughs> clock is running is running down so um that was my shameless uh plug that i tried to do recently <laughs> uh i like it i like it um what superpowers or superhero would you be oh man that one I think you is already are hard. by the way you're already a superhero but, <laughs> no, thank you. but in the marvel um, universe I think that one's hard because uh, like in climbing, like I think a lot of superpowers would actually just like really help you and make climbing not that fun. Like if you could fly, yeah. which is like the obvious one, like climbing would be really lame, you know? True. Um, people would just always think you're cheating. So uh, like, I think my obvious one that I would want to be able to do is fly. Um, but yeah, not, not for climbing, <laughs> I guess. Um, I do love the Hulk. My mom loves the Hulk and she's like the nicest lady ever. And so it's just really funny how much she loves him. Um, and so that, that's always made uh, me love him as well. So Amazing. Okay. Oh, but like as far as other favorite movies, uh, one of my tops ever is Princess Bride. I think I can watch that movie just over nice. and over again on a loop and it would never get old. Um, the Green Mile is really, really good. My brother loves that movie too. Um, I love sad movies. So Million Dollar Baby is up there. It's like one of the best. Uh, I recently rewatched Cool Runnings. <laughs> about the jamaican bobsled team and after making the olympics i was sobbing at the end of that movie like just wow. it just hit different after <laughs> after like somewhat relating to it uh sobbing it was hilarious um, <laughs> but yeah uh those are all like some of my favorites uh, a lesser known movie was called the dressmaker that i really really liked uh i thought it was really good and really odd which is a good uh mix of things that i like okay movies that i hated probably my least favorite movie i've ever seen which got a lot of hype was her uh, the movie with like Joaquin Phoenix really about the guy who falls in love with an operating system. It's terrible. Great <laughs> acting. The acting was good. I have no complaint. Just it's a movie where they just only talk about their feelings because she's an operating system. So th that's the whole movie. Yeah. Not for <laughs> just, you. No, yeah. no. Okay. Just boring. Just what, not interesting. Uncomfortable. I Uncomfortable. Would say. Okay. The whole time. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Okay, uh, final question from our dear roommate friend, Allison Vest. How has your vibe changed with your new hair? 
man, and I wanted I'm to so ask nervous. you this because because we, we're matchies. I don't know if you saw that. I mean, you're. I was going to mention that actually. It looks way better than mine, but um, but yeah, we're matchies with the bleached blonde the roots, the dark roots yeah, you growing got the roots in. Growing out. Yep. Um, I have always wanted to go blonde. I just like. I've always been curious what it would look like. And, you know, the filters on Snapchat and TikTok can only do so much to show you what it would look like. Right. Um, and I really wanted to cut my hair, uh, cause it was getting kind of out of hand with having to deal with it. Um, but I wanted to keep my kind of signature look for the Olympics. Like I wanted to keep the double braids, um, and th- through that. And so when the games got postponed, I was like, dang, I need to keep my hair long. <laughs> <laughs> so, like that was like part of it. Um, and it's crazy how fast like you do something drastic like this and then you look at photos and you're like, wow, that's me. Like, like already don't recognize photos of me with like long brown hair, even though I had it for forever. Totally. Um, so I would say vibe wise, uh, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm all the same person, but like <laughs> it's, uh, it's really nice. At least it's really refreshing to have something new and different. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just fun to do something. I also got my ears pierced again and I got a couple new tattoos. Um, oh, really? actually I, I got the rings tattooed. Uh, which is something I had always wanted to do. And it has a big reason Well, I, I, I have a tattoo called set that says, uh, you suck, try harder on my right leg. Um, <laughs> which is, uh, I don't know if you knew that, so but I think, I, yeah, I, I think I did. I'd forgotten, but yeah. Yeah. So that's like the motto from our gym back home in Minnesota. And it means a lot of different things to me. It's kind of like reminder of my roots and where I started and, yeah. um, kind of growing up as the only girl in the gym a lot of the times and like all these things. So it has a lot of meaning that isn't just you suck, try harder. Do you thrive uh, on that? Like tough love sort of vibe? I definitely do. Like, I don't want somebody to tell me good job if I don't, if I don't think I did a good job. Mm. But like I said, that it's because it doesn't affect my own feelings of like my own self-worth that much that like, I can be like, yeah, that sucked. Like objectively, <laughs> I guess. And not think, oh, I suck. Um, like, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but. But anyway, I got that tattoo. I had wanted it for a long time, but I got it as a reminder that I was like, I'm going to make the Olympics and I'm going to get the Olympic rings under it or near it. Um, and so I ended up getting the Olympic rings like on my other leg, like paralleling it. So uh, that was like something I had planned on for and since before making the Olympics. So That is sick. I like that. Like, look what I can do. Yeah, so I have a couple of vibe, vibe switches. I got the, the lines on my back too. It's kind of like an homage to like all the... Um, hard work I put into that the lines on your back yeah so I got two parallel lines that go down like either side of my scar basically okay um and I think it's kind of cool one that like it it shows when I can't bend you can kind of see because these lines are now like (laughs) on there like you can see the straight line in my back uh and then on top of that um like they just I think they look cool (laughs) and then uh yeah it's just kind of a reminder of all the like hard work I put in this year and like that it's not like quite just a definition of who I am or how I can climb and stuff like that. Um, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Got a couple of like vibes, which is yeah, new piercings, new uh, yeah. hair, new tattoos, <laughs> like a new person. <laughs> I think I saw this on Allison's story, Instagram story. You've been getting hit on more with the blonde hair. I, <laughs> is that yes. true? It's, yeah, it's, it's weird. I, uh, I don't know if. Cause I, I haven't been. What, so what's up with that? <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I actually get a lot more comments from guys on my hair than than anything. So interesting, yeah. Like I've got way more like random people on the street who like will say something like nice, like not catcalling, like creepiness. Just be like, "Oh, you look really gorgeous." I'm like, "Whoa, thank you." Like, really? Day. Just like, walking stuff. walking down the street, someone will say that yeah. to you. Yeah, it's like and oh. like a flight attendant complimented my hair. Like I was like, "Dang, this is wild." <laughs> 
That's amazing. Yeah. Huh. I, yeah it makes you feel good. So I'll take it. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had that happen to me. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that I'm sure that comes with uh, the annoyance of cat calls sometimes as well. But that's that true, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome to hear. Okay, um, this is. Let's see. I have three more patron questions for you, but I think we already tackled two of them. David and Nicole asked questions, and I think we already covered those. Um, this one is from Eli, and this goes a little bit deeper into climbing in your life and um, how they're connected. And there's a few parts to it, but it starts with. Uh, what is your favorite part about your life being so deeply ingrained or intertwined with climbing? Hmm. Ooh, that's like, that's kind of a hard question. Like I, I am very, very lucky and very privileged to like be able to do what I, what I do. And I think my, my favorite part is then kind of having the freedom to be able to kind of do what good I can with that position I'm in. Um, so like I said, I'm on a bunch of these like boards and have a lot of power as an athlete on these boards to speak for the athlete voice and advocate in that type of way. Um, and that's something I'm pretty passionate about and want to do more with, especially when I have more time now, um, without preparing for the Olympics. So I think that's like, I guess like the more deeper version of that. And then on like a more surface level, like I, I, I mean, I really love having climbing be my job. Uh, like it is incredible to be able to just go into the gym and train and you know talk to people on the internet and like answer questions and do this type of thing i think it's really cool like uh i've always wanted to be a vet too hmm. uh so i still might go back to vet school eventually the only problem is that i love salt lake and there's not a vet school here so oh really yeah i have to figure that one out eventually yeah that's surprising yeah huh. i don't know if that fully answered that question it did but it, well, it's a hard one. yeah no he did that's that's a great answer that's a great answer and it's awesome to hear it's awesome to hear that um he also asked, what is the worst part? And maybe maybe replace that with more most challenging part. What are what are the downsides to being so locked into this lifestyle of climbing? Hmm. I think climbing it, it can feel very selfish. Like, you know, it is a pursuit of being the best at something and, and that can feel really um like not very altruistic, I guess. Um, and I know some people who struggle with that and like, don't want to pursue pro climbing for that reason. And, and I totally get it. And I, that's why I think it is important to use the platforms and like try and use our voices, like how we can, because I mean, it, it is just kind of true in, in some ways. And I think that's that you can feel pretty guilty about that, but not that that's, I, I'm definitely not complaining, I guess is what yeah. I'm saying there. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's something that I try to counter with what I was saying is the best part. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, that's cool. I, I personally struggled with that for a long time. And I've, I think I've changed my mind about that. I used to really wrestle with like being so self-absorbed, self-focused with this thing I wanted to get better at. But I don't know. I look around at how everyone else lives their life. Everyone has something that they pour themselves into. And, and sometimes it is objectively more firsthand helping other people, being a vet, um, being a doctor, things like that, doing more, you know, nonprofit or social work or things. But Climbing's brought me all the best things in my life and it's helped me touch so many other people and learn from so many people and give back. And I, I've really changed my mind to think that it's how you use your love of anything and, and your passions for things. It's how you use those rather than what those things happen to be. Cause I don't think I could be a good doctor, even if I forced myself to be, cause I just don't want to be a doctor. Do you know what yeah. I mean? 
Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And I think when you are able to have an outlet for um, of something that you love, like, and if you genuinely love doing it, like, it allows you to be more productive in other areas too. Yeah. Like, me being able to climb and you know do what I love all the time is super lucky, and um, but then gives me energy to be able to do other things that are ideally helping more people. You know, so then yeah, like that's how I like to see it because I know some people who have like really struggled with it, even who um, have their own job. You know, that's not climbing related. Uh, they're like, why should I climb? Like, why? I'm like, well, if it makes you better at your job, like genuinely happier, like that's, that's good. Like you need to be happy too. So, yeah, um, yeah, that's like one way to look at it for sure. I mean, just hearing you getting, just hearing about you getting all these messages from people on Instagram who've had back injuries or fuse, you know, spinal fusions or things like that. I mean, you're, you're changing people's lives through just showing them what's possible. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and that's something that, like I said, that I think has been really, really cool with the, um, the, like the spotlight the Olympics brought, um, is that ability to have like reached so many people with that, um, that story, because like the first surgeon I went to, like no chance that would you ever would have guessed that, uh, I would have made it to the Olympics. Whereas the second surgeon was really supportive. Mm. And I think about the number of people who have had surgeons or doctors like that, or people even who just say that they can't do something. And then, um, turns out they can, you know, so <laughs> Yeah. Um, that's a good lead in. This is the next part of the question from Eli. What do you hope the Olympic experience will bring to the broader climbing community? Um, I guess this kind of ties into what I was saying. I am really hoping that it makes climbing a more accessible sport in general. Like the broader the audience, the more people are introduced to it, the more money is in the sport, the more it is a viable pathway for your career. Um, Ideally, we get climbing to be NCAA so people can get actual scholarships for climbing. Because like right now, if, um, you know, if you're not wealthy, like climbing is hard to get into, uh, you know, and that's just a fact. And there's a bunch of gyms that are trying to make a difference in that. Like Memphis Rocks has the pay uh, pay what you can memberships and stuff like that. And so hopefully more gyms like that come up. But like you kind of need funding. And so the spotlight of the Olympics and these like larger companies getting involved and, and using us in commercials and stuff like that. I think it's it's cool how the. Uh, how much that can hopefully expand the sport and make it um, like a more attainable thing for more people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to see what happens with that. I think, I think you're right. I'm excited for that too. And there's a lot of a lot of really cool people starting to do a lot of really cool things uh, to, to make the sport more accessible to more people. Totally. Um, What about for you personally? What do you hope to bring away from uh, the Olympic experience, I guess? Man, I mean, there's like so many memories I'm going to have for forever. Like it totally, totally, it it totally beat my expectations, I guess. Really? Um, yeah, we weren't really sure what to expect with COVID and all that. And um, there, it was incredible. Like we got to meet a bunch of athletes. We got to really bond as a team. Um, not having our family there meant that we had all these like pretty special experiences that with our families that we maybe wouldn't have had. Like if my parents had been in Tokyo watching a bunch of other sports, uh, I probably wouldn't have talked to them on FaceTime so many times from inside the village and shown them so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I think it gave us a really different experience. So like, even though it's not what we like entirely thought it was going to be, um, like, I think it, we really made the best of it, of it, which is really cool. That's amazing to hear. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. I wanted to ask you, I'm starting to wrap up here. Just have a few more questions. What are you most proud of so far in your climbing career? Is it the Olympics or or something else? Um, I think the most obvious answer would definitely be qualifying for the Olympics. 
I think that year was incredibly stressful from making team, from doing well at the like to doing well the, well enough at the World Cups to make it to the Toulouse qualifying event, to then qualifying at the Toulouse qualifying event. Um, was just like it was like nine months of lead up plus the years of hype leading up to the Olympics. Uh, and so it was just a lot of pressure. And so like being able to hold my own under that pressure is something I was really proud of. And also, yeah, I think just like believing that it was a possibility for me. Like I didn't really have a good reason to like good reason on paper to believe that I could do that. And hmm. like, so like knowing that I could, and I think it's something I'm quite proud of. And what do you hope to have accomplished looking back on your life? Uh, let's say 50 years from now, you're 80 years old or 75 years old. You're looking back at your life of climbing. You know, this is this is touching on the goals that we talked about. This is touching on this idea of following your heart and being true to what inspires you and getting so much of your self-worth and joy out of the process rather than this, you know, the results. But um, what do you hope to see looking back? Is there a specific achievement or a way that you just want to live your life or experiences that you want to have that would make you feel really fulfilled in your life of climbing? Oh man, that is like, that's such, that's such a hard question. That's the hardest one yet. I feel like, um, I think I want to, man, I definitely want to not have like too many regrets, I guess, like kind of like how I was saying, going into a competition, knowing I trained as hard as I could have for it is like, you can't be too disappointed if it doesn't work out. Like, I guess, um, kind of same thing later on. Like, I don't want to be back, uh, be like, Oh man, I shouldn't have quit competitions when I did. Or like, I like that type of thing. I want to make sure I see things through and, um, like, even if it's not the result that I wanted and proud of whatever, like I put into it, I guess. Um, and so that's something that's important to me, I think, like 50 years down the line. <laughs> and I like, you know, the connections that I made through climbing are just really important to me. And I um, like, yeah, I, I hope those are still strong, I guess. <laughs> cool. Very cool. What is something that is especially good in your life right now? What's got you feeling just happy and, and good? Oh, man. Um, I have some that I'm not ready to tell the Internet yet. Okay. <laughs> Um, but that's okay, totally I, fair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, my cats bring me daily joy. I like when I got them, I was like, wow, it's not possible, like possible for me to love you more than I already do. <laughs> and I swear every day I just see them and I'm just like, wow, <laughs> my heart. Um, <laughs> what else? It's making me really psyched how many people have been moving to Salt Lake and, um, like the community that we have here. I think it's really, really cool. I grew up climbing like as basically the only girl in the gym. Um, or like one of few, and I was definitely the youngest. Um, and so like having so many women in Salt Lake too, has been really, really cool. Um, and it's been something new to me and like even had ticks I'm getting used to just cause I always grew up either climbing alone or with like way older dudes. So, um, it's been really cool to see like the slightly younger than me generation come up and, uh, their psych levels and try hard is just really inspiring to me. Awesome. Yeah. You guys seem to have a really good, uh, really good posse in the training gym. Every time I yeah, check on Instagram, totally looks like a blast. Uh, what's next? Um, like I said, I want to go on a vacation. Uh, it's like my immediate future here. Uh, and then kind of the next actual objective that I haven't started focusing on yet will be the team trials so that I can hopefully do the world cups next year. Um, and I'm also really excited to start 
training ropes a little bit more and even trying some outdoor rope climbing, um, just like lead climbing outside. Uh, just cause I think, I think I could be good at it. I'm not very good at pockets. So like, I got to find like specific climbs, I think that are like edges, mm-hmm, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm really excited to like try more outdoor sport climbing. And, um, that's kind of one of the other, I guess, side projects, uh, of my next year. Awesome. I want to do. Awesome. I'm ex- I'm excited to follow along and see what you do. And on that note, where can people find you and follow along with your story and more importantly, see your cats? Yeah. Uh, Instagram is definitely my most active social media. It's, uh, at Kyra, K-Y-R-A underscore Condi, C-O-N-D-I-E. Um, and Allison and I also have a TikTok, which maybe one day we'll be more active on. I am an active follower of TikTok, not as active at posting, but, uh, but we're at climbing roommates on TikTok. (laughs) Uh, I also have a Reddit now. I, I, I have my, my Reddit that is my non-public Reddit, but then I have a, uh, a Reddit that is my actual climbing Reddit. And it is, I, I am you slash Kyra Condi. So uh, sometimes people don't think that you're real. <laughs> it's, it's really <laughs> so, you. It's really you. Okay. I'll find that and I'll, I'll link to it. What do you do on there? I use it for a lot of random things, like my other interests of like sneakers and um, movies and uh, memes, you know, classic stuff. Uh, Just sharing I'm that I'm way stuff. more of a nerd than people realize, I think, from the internet. I keep some of it secret some of it, but as soon as you get to know me, it's like, it's obvious. Um, but, uh, on, there's a bunch of climbing edits and people ask a bunch of training questions and I have done this for a long time. So I thought maybe answering some of those can be cool. Um, nice. and, or at least providing some perspective, like somebody asked a question about, they had their first experience at a comp. And so I gave them some of the advice that I got from my sports psych and stuff like that. So let's finish with that. What, what advice would you have for that person? Do you remember what you shared? Yeah, um, kind of the biggest thing that is applicable to all areas of climbing um, and life, really, um, was this idea of present focus. Um, and kind of, you know, when you're at the top of a boulder and you're looking at the top hold and you're like, dang, like that's, or like the top out or something, you're like, oh, I'm at the top. Like, I've almost done it. Like, what if I do it right now? This could be it. This could be the time I do the climb. Like, that's kind of what your brain is doing. At least that's what my brain's doing. Um, you send, you then might mess up that finish move because you're thinking of like, oh, what, what happens if I top this right now? Like mm. I'll send. And so instead you want to be thinking about, all right, to do this move, I need to move my left foot here and then reach up slowly. You know, like you want to think about what you're doing and not what the outcome will be if you do that. Mm. Um, and somehow just my sports like telling me that just made a huge difference. So the, where, where it came from was I was talking about how I kept messing up on um, competition league climbs. So I do really well on one and do totally well enough to make semifinals at a world cup, like well enough. And then the other one I would mess up like way low, like not on a hard move, like something weird. Um, and it was because I was focusing about the crux that was at the fourth draw. Mm. And then because I was thinking about this crux that was up here, I was not focusing on what I was doing down here. Uh, and it would make me mess up and make a silly mistake or not think something through. Um, and so really focusing on exactly what you're doing as you're doing it. And then maybe if you get to a rest, you can like look ahead and be like, okay. And then re- remember, and then as you go again, then refocus in on the present mm. uh, was something that she really helped me with. Amazing. Thank you for that. Um, really helpful advice and a great note to leave people with. Kyra, thank you. Yeah, this was great. Really fun to chat, fun to get to know you a little bit and uh, see behind the scenes into other elements of your life that we don't get to watch on uh, the IFSC feeds or streams or whatever else. So yeah, congratulations again on an amazing achievement of going to the Olympics 
and um, I don't know, just further showing the world what climbing is, um, how special and amazing and life-giving it can be. You've been a huge part of that and it's incredible. So thanks for your time today. Really fun. Thanks. I, yeah, I really appreciate it. I had a great time talking to you. Me too. Me too. My pleasure. All right. That's it. Sick. Have a good rest of your Thursday. Thursday. <laughs> Thank you. The rest yeah. of my rest day Thursday. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mine's also a rest day. Go nice. to Red Rocks tomorrow. Nice. Cool. Have All a right. good trip. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. See you. Bye. Hey friends, before you go, just a reminder to check out Chalk Cartel. I am actually heading out to climb later today as soon as I can finish this episode. And it's been super rainy and humid here in Washington where I am right now. And I am psyched to have Chalk Cartel in my chalk bag. If you are ready to try it yourself, head over to chalkcartel.com and use code NUGGET for 20% off your next order. Again, that's chalkcartel.com. Use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off and get ready to start sticking. This is great chalk, no bullshit. And that's it, my friends. Thank you again for listening to another episode I hope you enjoyed that one. I really appreciate you guys for being here, for listening, for supporting, for talking about the show, for sending me a lot of really kind and supportive messages. It really means the world to me. And I'm having more fun than ever doing the podcast. So thanks again. Try hard out there. Stay injury free. And we will see you next time. Like we do it.